Cards are getting a little bit ugly out there. Give them, give them all a cookie and make them settle down. We did it again. We did? We missed another anniversary. No. Yes. What? No. <laughs> It was yesterday. Four years was yesterday. Oh, then this is the correct episode to... To acknowledge it. Yeah, yeah. we're getting better. But, yeah. We yesterday did. was four years? Four years doing this, Brad. Oh, my God. Why? How many weeks off have we taken, not counting the our one week off at Christmas? Like, maybe maybe six. That's insane. <laughs> like, four, legitimately, maybe six. Four years of doing this. And... Because we couldn't have it any other way. Evan's not here today. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually the perfect anniversary episode for the Wing Wheel podcast. Uh, because we actually got really close to the date for once. Evan's not here. You look like you're barely alive. And I'm angry. Uh, yeah, this is like a, this is kind of a throwback. If, if you wanted to know, like... This is like year one... Can you describe the Winged Wheel podcast? Yes, just listen to this one episode. I'm uh, I'm tired because it's it's Valentine's Day, and um, last year the florist messed up my order, and so I had to get. This is I just realized I'm telling a much longer story. Um, last year February would have been like very close to the beginning of my relationship, um, and I wanted to do the nice thing and get flowers, and so I called ahead like before Valentine's Day, obviously, and the florist accidentally gave away my arrangement. And so I went to the grocery store because that's all that's left if you're a man looking for flowers on Valentine's Day after work. And everything was like wilted and dying and like crappy. And I saw this very lively, like full vibrant set of yellow or uh, bouquet of yellow roses. I'm like, forget these chumps. I'm buying these yellow roses. So I bought the yellow roses and then I brought them to Mel and she just like she smiles and she loved them and she's so appreciative and she was like so yellow is an interesting color I'm like oh do you not like yellow flowers she goes i love yellow flowers she's like i like all colors of flowers just yellow roses mean uh you're breaking up with someone oh no <laughs> or you want to signal that you're only friends which I think is a load of baloney that, because no one gives us, there's no like little two inch by two inch cheat sheet that you get as a person buying flowers for your partner on Valentine's Day. I've been with Crystal for over 15 years. This is the first I'm hearing of yellow flowers, meaning uh, that. And I have not heard the end of it. Justifiably so. Because like what? I'm, no, not justifiably so. I will go to bat for you on this one. That is garbage. <laughs> that is not a thing. That should be a thing. Thank you. They were very pretty roses. They were much better than the crap they were selling at Zares at like nine at night. <laughs> oh man! And it, but I, I I wanted to do right because this this was like not even a month after our first date. I was like this would be a nice thing. Anyways, this year I call ahead by an extra week and I say specifically what I want. And I'm like, she's like, very colorful bouquet, all the colors. She doesn't like just like red roses, like vibrant, something that's like the opposite of seasonal affective disorder and flowers is okay. pretty much. Because yep. uh, for those of you who live anywhere near the Toronto area in Ontario, you'll know the or Ontario and I guess the Midwest has been all of North America really has just been dumped on with ice and snow. So yeah. I wanted the opposite of that in flower form. And she was like, OK, yeah. And I was like, all right, what time can I pick these up? She's like, our opening hours are 8 a.m. But we open really early on Valentine's Day, so you can show up whenever. I was like, all right, I'll be there at 7.45. 7.40, I get to the florist, and I get there. 
and they have the sign like the closed sign on the front door and i just kind of walk in because i don't really care about anything at 7 40 in the morning and they're like sir we're really busy i'm like yeah they're like, it's Valentine's Day. It's our busiest day of the year. We're not open yet. I'm like, oh, when I called, they said you were, you'd were you be here early. They're like, yeah, to prep for Valentine's Day. I was like, right. I'm one of your customers. And she's like, no, you need to buy your flower. You like walk-ins are later. I was like, no, I, I bought ahead of time. And she's like, you bought ahead of time? And she looked at me like I was crazy <laughs> for being at the florist at 740 in the morning. And she was correct is my takeaway from this story. <laughs> she was correct. I just went... Yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm nuts. Give me my damn flowers. Yeah. <laughs> flowers are great. Anyways, that's why I'm tired. Yes. <laughs> why are you angry? Because I opened the internet today. Yeah. Before we get into that, <laughs> welcome to this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. That actually, five minutes of uh, non-hockey talk to start an episode really is throwback Winged Wheel Podcast. Although I say throwback, I think we do that in most episodes. Yeah, it's true. We not, There's not a lot enjoyable to talk about with the Detroit Red Wings these days. This is why I was really hoping our midweek episodes would kind of turn into like more general NHL-themed episodes than Red Wing-centric episodes. And The world these, runs what we do. We don't and, have... Uh, and these idiots can't even let us do that anymore. This is a season where I don't want to talk about the Red Wings because everything around them is sad and miserable and the opposite of what Valentine's Day is supposed to be. And all day, like, we've just been updating Twitter and watching more and more angry tweets come in. And only a fraction of them were from me, which is new. I've actually stayed off uh, quite a bit. That's wise. I tried to avoid it, but it was a slow day at work, so I didn't have a lot else to do. Uh, so on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, I, we have to dive headfirst into what is driving Brad up this wall uh, with the Detroit Red Wings. Before, I want to qualify by saying this. It's not just what's driving Brad nuts. This is actually the most unified anger I've ever seen from the Red Wings fan base. Like, I did not see one tweet today defending what Blashill did. Not one. And that is rare. Yeah, it is pretty rare. Normally, I'll see a handful, like a dozen or so lunatics who go against the crowd. None. Zero. Zero popped up in my feed today. So either A, I just happened to be the one person who the algorithm didn't work that into, or B, uh, Blashill done goofed. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be talking about um, some league-wide news. Evgeny Malkin did Evgeny Malkin things, and then I think we there's enough brewing within the trade deadline world that we can probably parse that out a little bit. Well, after this episode, we only have two more episodes before the trade deadline, so we got to start diving into some of the... The big names. The bigger topics surrounding it that aren't Gus Nyquist and Jimmy Howard. Yes. To see where everything's at, because, yeah, it's we've only got three more episodes to do it. So the Detroit Red Wings um, just saw the return of Trevor Daly again, and um, as everyone who's been through this pain before predicted, Dennis Cholosky was scratched. On Tuesday night against Nashville. On Tuesday That night. was the start. So I saw that, and I just uh, I tweeted out like just like a half-minded quip of just... I didn't... Like, no analysis. I just quote-tweeted Max Boltman, and I put an asterisk, uh, asterisks, internal screaming... Or screaming internally, or something like that, and then I got some people like like a, a lot of anger, a lot of unified anger, and a, you know what? I, I had a good conversation actually from uh, with Kyle from Winging in Motown, and it was short, but he made a good point, which is just like, yeah, 
you're like you can be frustrated about like better players playing over him, but like you ran out of that frustration a long time ago with like this happening over and over and over and over. And I read that and like just like this sense of consignment or like this sense of like uh, resignment just swept over me, and I was like, "There's no escaping this." Pretending to be shocked is actually sillier than doing this itself. So this whole bobblehead night thing. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Do not mistake anything I'm about to say for for shock or surprise. I, I, we called this. We predicted this on these episodes on Twitter. Everybody predicted this. We're not geniuses. We know how genii actually. Yeah, thank you. We uh, we know how Jeff Blashill operates. The entire fan base knows how Jeff Blashill operates. It still doesn't excuse it. Okay, so. As I as I went on my my little tweet thread today, yeah, you had numbers and everything in your parentheses. I try, I'm trying. I'm really, really trying to just not be like blind, blindly angry anymore. I, I'm trying to be objective and see and understand the rationale behind why Jeff Blashill does what he does and why Ken Holland does what he does, even on the topics I disagree with. Yeah, can I understand scratching Dennis Chalosky Tuesday against Nashville? Absolutely, 100%. I can agree with. Uh, I can understand it. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's the right course of action. But hey, if Blashville feels the need to scratch Chalosky this season for a half dozen games because he feels it benefits his development, by all means, scratch him. Dennis Chalosky missing a half dozen games in his rookie season is not going to make or break his career. It's not. What is inexcusable, though, is to scratch him two games in a row where the, the defense in front of him is not performing well they're like yeah but we won against nashville and i don't change my lineup after a win jimmy howard beat nashville okay let's just let's just clear that up detroit had a good third period it was actually one of the few times they didn't wilt in the third period yeah i noticed that as well i will give them full marks for that and they got the winning goal in the third period and what was a 2-2 game they got the win sure but for the first two periods that should have been like 9-2 nashville but here's here's my big gripe, and we talked about this in the Vancouver game. Tonight's a home game. Tonight is Dennis Chalosky bobblehead night, okay? If nothing else, scratching Dennis Chalosky on Dennis Chalosky bobblehead night is flipping the bird to the entire fan base, and more importantly, flipping double birds to every single person who bought tickets to that game. This... It was bad enough that you scratched Dennis Chalosky in his one hometown game this year. You then scratch him in his one bobblehead game as well. This is tone deaf. This is ignorant. This is a dick move. Not just to Dennis Chalosky, but to his family and to the fan base. His family to the hometown game, the fan base to this game. It's, again... I do not advocate scratching Dennis Chalosky in any game, but I can understand the rationale behind it. There's only two games you could make the argument this entire season where you do not scratch him. And he scratched him for both of them. And he's only been scratched, what, for four or five games total now at this point? And those are two of them? It's... There's no other word to describe it than it's stupid. And this is one of those ones where I will dump on Ken Holland just as much as I dump on Jeff Blashill for this decision, because at some point when you are dragging your fan base through a dumpster fire, miserable season where most of us don't even want to watch the games anymore. We just do it because we suffer from some strange version of Stockholm syndrome. You're 
you have to step in and say, no, Jeff, people who bought tickets to Cholosky night are probably buying some of these tickets because they're Cholosky fans. You have to play him tonight. Scratch him for the next game. He has to play tonight. But no, these fans now spent some of them it well in excess of a hundred American dollars to go watch the dumpster fire Ottawa Senators play the dumpster fire Detroit Red Wings with Jonathan Erickson and Trevor Daly and the last remaining breaths of Nicholas Cronwall to play half the game. It's I just I can't justify this. So here's where I am. I agree with almost everything that you said. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree with sitting Cholosky. I don't think it's the right decision, but I can understand. Oh, we haven't even got into the next part of it yet. No, I can understand the benefit of sitting a player who is young, who's a rookie. You know he could be doing a lot more. Your first few years in the league are difficult. It's not all about just playing you when, even though you're better than other players, there is some merit to giving you reps in the minors or, or letting you watch from the press box. I don't necessarily agree with that in, that in this scenario, but I can understand that thinking. This isn't some like you know coach from Mars making some bizarre decisions. Um, it's actually pretty in line with the way Blashill and the organization organization traditionally operate. Where I differ from you is, I I'm inclined to react emotionally and say that this bobblehead night, bobblehead night thing is really messed up, but at the same time. If this was an organization that was doing well and Cholosky was not at worst the fourth best defenseman on this team right now, he was a rookie who could be sat some games and we wouldn't really notice and this team was competing, bobblehead night wouldn't matter. No, it wouldn't. Not at all. Or if this was Luke Glendening bobblehead night and he was sat in favor of, you know, some young gun or like if this was Trevor Daly bobblehead night and he was sat in favor of Heronic or Hicketts we wouldn't really be kicking up the same fuss. I think it's easy to attach the bobblehead night thing because the same emotion was invoked to a higher degree with the whole sitting him when his family came to that. I will not separate the emotion from sitting him when they played in Vancouver. But to me, after that happened, when, when Blashill sat Cholosky, when his family came out to see him for the first time in the NHL, when Detroit visited Vancouver, that was the that was the earth scorched. There's nothing else to be had here, and and it's easy to attack the bobblehead night on, but at this point, I'm all I can think is well, any sense or play at like doing the right thing by the players are gone. There's no coming back. This is this is minuscule compared to the impact of that one emotionally. It's it's comical at this point because again, I, I'm I'm angry emotionally for different reasons between the two games. Like I said, I'm angry for the Vancouver game because of Cholosky's family. I'm angry because of Cholosky's bobblehead night for the fans tonight. Um, also, the, you ruined some bad juju. Everyone with a bobblehead night scores a hat trick, right? Like, you know yeah, that was his game to rebound. Come on. Uh, it, it's That's little, just bad coaching. So here, here's, again, objectively speaking, am I going to sit here and say over the last month or two, Dennis Cholosky has been lighting the world on fire. No, he's he's struggled lately. I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend he's some demigod that Blashill has a vendetta against. You can absolutely see the, the reasoning behind scratching him. But here's, here's what my... And again, this is not surprising. This is nothing new. But this is just where I'm at and why I'm so frustrated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and make a very, very large point as brief as I can here. Yeah. <laughs> This team is awful. This season is over. For all intents and purposes, this season is done. There is nothing coming from the Red Wings playing hockey 
for the rest of this season, except for one thing, the development of the future Red Wings, the development of any Red Wing who's going to be here the next two, three, four, five years and beyond. Jonathan Erickson won't be, at least better not be. Nicholas Cronwall won't be. Trevor Daly better not be. Those are all contracts that expire this season or next. Continuing to play them over over guys like Chalosky and Hronik is nonsensical. It does nothing for the good of the organization this season. Sure, if you believe that might win you a few more games, great, but that's actually at this point against what's good for the team. You you need to develop them. And here's here's the thing, too, because you can have the argument about whether or not uh, Chalosky should be scratched or whether or not he should be sent to Grand Rapids. He's shown he can play well at this level. And he's Your laptop's trying to update. <laughs> we got to turn off this auto update. I wonder if you guys heard the noise this time. Anyways, but it doesn't matter because... It's been proven time and time again, if you are over the age of, I'll say, 27, you can do no wrong. You have no accountability. Justin Adlocator is playing the worst hockey of his career, and by a lot of metrics, is like a bottom 3% player in the NHL right now. Like, legitimately that bad at almost every metric, he hasn't sat a game. Uh, Jonathan Erickson has, for a guy his size, his defending is terrible. Every advanced metric, he's been awful. Trevor Daly. Again, any metric you want to look at, any stat you want to look at, he's been terrible. Between all of them, the only guy who ever got a healthy scratch was Jonathan Erickson. And that was he was healthy scratched two games after he was officially cleared to play from injury. So that doesn't necessarily mean he was healthy. Mm -hmm. They might have just been giving him the extra rest. So I don't count that. If you want to be a good coach, and again, Helene St. James put out an article earlier this week where the organization was preaching culture of winning, culture of winning, culture of winning. That's why they're that's why they're making a lot of the decisions there. Did I miss something where they're where this week they went from second last in the entire NHL to third last in the entire NHL? What the hell culture of winning are you talking about? That is dead and been gone for a long time in this organization. This is just bullshit lip service that means nothing that they say to justify their decisions. And again, I legitimately think Ken Holland and Jeff Blaschel are making the decisions that they think is in the best interest of this organization. They're wrong. And they will say whatever the hell they're saying to justify it. And they... Most teams will just spit out those kind of garbage platitudes to just appease the fan base because your average Joe listener who doesn't watch more than 15 games a year is going to be like, culture of winning. Yeah, that makes sense. You want that? Cool. That's a good answer for me. But anybody with half a brain will look at that and go, what? Long story short, this organization's philosophy is broken. Their developmental path is broken. They are parading a defense core out tonight. Again, against the Ottawa Senators, the worst team in the league. The worst team in the league where the average age of the defense is something like 33 years old. In a rebuilding year. At the end of the year. Where the season's already lost. Michael Rasmussen is playing on the fourth line. This is... I have no words to describe 
how stupid this whole situation is. I'm angry, not at this individual decision. I'm angry because I wake up every day. I log on to Twitter to see what's going on in the hockey world. And then I read a bunch of garbage about my favorite team making themselves worse and not doing anything to help the future. And it pisses me off. I want to enjoy hockey. And I can't anymore. This team is making it profoundly difficult for me to enjoy the NHL. We're For reference, we're recording this podcast at 630. It's 630 Eastern time right now. The Red Wings game starts in an hour. When we're done recording this podcast, I'm not watching the game. I'm not. I can't bring myself to it. It's Valentine's Day. Even though me and my wife aren't going out tonight because we don't have a babysitter, it's fine. I'm going to spend the night with my family enjoying life because the Red Wings are not letting me do that. I'm, I want to continue talking about something like substantial topics, like actual, you know, content here, but instead I'm going to leverage this into an opportunity to get you to come to my side of a different argument. Brad, wouldn't you say that this whole, everything that you just laid out very eloquently, I could say, and you looked quite dashing while you were, while you were saying it, wouldn't you think that this accountability goes right to the top within with Ken Holland? Oh, it absolutely does. And my I am every day I am teetering more to your side. I'm hmm. I'm trying to remain objective because to me the trade deadline is going to be my make or break on this. Because again, if Ken Holland's one of the GMs who says I'm not going to meddle in the day-to-day hockey operations, that's the coach's job, I can respect that. Again, I don't agree with it in this situation, but I can understand it. But if this trade deadline comes and goes and Jimmy Howard and Gus Nyquist and Nick Jensen and Trevor Daly are all still Red Wings, I am fully on your side of the argument at that point. Yeah, I am on your side in a few aspects, but on a on a bunch of other aspects, I'm like, yeah, I can I can still see what Holland's doing. That will be my my last straw. And here's the thing, too, because a lot of people are getting this mixed up thing because they see the Steve Ozerman deadline. His contract expires June 30th with the Lightning. Ken Holland's contract does not expire with Detroit's June 30th. People are like, I can't wait till the end of the season and Holland's and Blashill's contracts are done and Stevie and Quenville step in. Uh, Holland doesn't leave unless they fire him or he steps aside. His contract expires next summer. Mm -hmm. So this might turn into a far bigger problem. But again, this whole organization's philosophical view of how to properly develop a team for the future is broken. Look at every other team in the league in their situation. They are playing the young guys religiously. And you can argue too, like to get back to the Cholosky thing, I am going to sit here and say it was the right decision to have Philip Zadina in Grand Rapids all year. But here's the thing, he was in Grand Rapids early. He started there. You didn't break his confidence because he wasn't certain he was going to make the Red Wings. This is the end of the season. This is mid-February. Are you telling me you're going to send after Cholosky had a good year in Detroit for the better part of the last, what, five, six months? Sending him to Grand Rapids is going to boost his confidence? (laughs) Even if he scores a point and a half per game down there, he's going to be pissed he's not in Detroit. Sure, that might give him a bit more motivation, but it sure as hell isn't going to help help his confidence. Don't give me that garbage. Like, I just, I have no idea what the hell they're saying anymore. It, it It's logic that just 
doesn't make sense and hasn't made sense for the last at to be generous the last half half decade in the NHL. It's so, I can't I can't anymore. I don't get it, and it's just frustrating. So for the record, I think at, at this point we we do fall on different sides of the argument with the whole bobblehead thing. But I just want to clarify for listeners. Brad's rant just now wasn't about bobblehead night. This was a, no. a culmination of, I think, really you you hit the nail on the head when you talked about this whole the the falsehood and the fallacy that that's the culture of winning. Detroit doesn't get to claim that anymore. No, really, I could see why they claimed it a little while after 2013, but truly that culture of winning that era, I, th- I think it was realistically dead before, but technically died the moment they squandered a three one. Series lead against the eventual Stanley Cup champion Chicago Blackhawks in 2013. They have not seen an iota of success after that. And this team is, it's like a 105-year-old man suffering from dementia walking into a room of of young spry 25-year-olds saying he could kick any of their asses because he, you know, did a bunch of shit in Vietnam. It's just, it's a joke. It's frankly a joke to pretend that a culture of success or this culture that prop... I think this team is talking about the culture more than they're actually propagating the culture that they're talking about. 100%. They're, and they don't even know that they're just trying to speak it into existence. They think it just exists around them. But yeah. really, it's died. Again, and I'm not I saying they've killed it. No, it's just the natural cycle of hockey teams in the modern era. Again, I, I don't think... Don't get me wrong. I don't think they're spinning some garbage here to deceive the fans mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I think they truly believe this nonsense they're speaking. That's and to me, that's a bigger problem. I would I would prefer I hope they're lying to us that this is why we're doing it, because this garbage reason, this garbage reason, yada, yada. If they truly believe it, it's a bigger problem. If Jeff Blashill truly believes that Dennis, Dennis Cholosky may be playing half the remaining games or playing the rest of the season in Grand Rapids is truly best for him. That's a problem. I think they do truly believe it. I, I think they do, too. And that's more concerning to me. And it's. If this was all because they wanted to play worse players to tank, I'd be like, because I think that's still inadvertently what's happening. Oh yeah, I'd be like, that's amazing, but that's not what they. We all know, like this isn't this isn't a new story. If this team was clo- if this team was five points, ten points further in the standings, they'd be making a push for a playoff spot. Yeah, and and today Blash was quoted he's like, "Well, look at what going to Grand when, when talking about Chalosky. He's like, "Well, look at we we sent uh, Heronic back down to." Grand Rapids and he was near and he's like basically a point per game player down there and he's walking around with an all-time confidence high well Jeff unless you've actually talked to Philip about that I you know don't speak for him um but Jeff also uh Philip Ronick was a half a point game per player in the NHL this year which right now would lead the Red Wings defense maybe Mike Green might be ahead but Mike Green's been unbelievably cold lately so um again maybe it's just a fundamental difference of how to develop a player to, I'm going to quote, may, repeat this one quote every damn episode until the Red Wings start doing it. I can't wait for the day teams start playing young players who might be bad instead of playing old players who are bad. What was the old Albert Einstein quote? The definition of insanity is employing the same old school general manager and coach every year and expecting your team to get better. That's yeah. what Einstein said. Yeah. I. It's just... Again, this isn't about bobblehead. This isn't even only about Dennis Cholosky. It's just that this is just a such a vivid picture of what's been wrong. 
Yeah, Chalosky is the poster child for it right now, and Bobblehead Night just accents how how tone deaf this organization is to what the fans want and what what this what the organization needs. It's it's just it's highlighted everything over the last uh, basically since Blashill got here. Because at least when Babcock was here, they were still making the playoffs, so you had that argument at least. In other news, uh, the Red Wings put Martin Furk on waivers, which was interesting because. Uh, I was of the mind that he there's a decent chance he might get claimed. And that's not because I think Martin Furk is worth getting claimed. No, I'm actually really not that big on him. I kind of didn't really see the point of re-signing him. It wasn't upsetting to me, but I just, I never, he never inspired conf- confidence for me after his first shot didn't work out. Um, I know he's kind of a fan favorite. They love him. Um, he's the best use for me to censor when everyone's, anyone swears on uh, in an overtime comment. And so that, but that's a, Pretty much my affinity. Oh, we're going to have to change our intro. Right? And so, uh, Ferk being waived. But the thing thing that I noticed is that he carried a lot of name value around the league. I saw a few different fan bases get excited. And I thought maybe there was just a general lag in a, a league awareness of the fact that this guy just was not panning out. And so I thought he might get picked up. Lo and behold, um, as happens whenever I do make a prediction officially on Twitter, um, I was wrong and he cleared waivers. And so he'll be going down to Grand Rapids. Um, yeah, it's not anything too substantial. It was to make way for Tyler Bertuzzi, who's coming back into the lineup. Yeah. Um, again, was he the guy I would wave or sent down? No. Was he the guy I would have healthy scratched every night? No. Cause again, you have old bad players who are still up with the team and still getting in the lineup every night. Ferk again, I am. I am not big on Ferk. I, I think his best case scenario in the NHL is a guy who can play on your third line uh, and your second power play unit. Maybe, maybe put up 15 goals a year. Yeah. that That's not a significant, substantial hockey player. So Diamond the fact doesn't. they're moving on from him, sure, whatever. It, it's not a needle mover to me. It's just, again, another example of... Sure, we're going to... They're playing Justin Abdelkader in the slot... On one of the power play units tonight, and Martin Furk, uh, the same day, Martin Furk, who's a power play specialist, was on waivers. Just let that, just let that sink in. I don't need to expand beyond that. Now, I, I, I think, I think waving Furk is fine. Yeah. Um, um, again, it's, it's Abdul, the, the whole Abdulkader thing is, and I know we keep coming back to him, and he's as much as Chelsea's the poster boy for one side of the the argument. Abdulkader is the other end of the spectrum embodied. Um, and so it's unfortunate for him as a person to have his name just dragged through the mud. But at the same time, he's not playing fantastic hockey. Um, we would all love the reality to be something can be done with Abdulkader's contract. He's not going to be bought out. That'd be a, a night, a cap nightmare for Detroit. The, at the best case scenario is the end of next season is when it might start to make sense. The only way, the only thing that could possibly save this team is a compliance buyout that comes... In this new expansion cycle, with the no, the only way we get a compliance buyout is with the new CBA and potential lockout. Which, yeah. eh, you know, mm, do I want to lose a half a season or another season of hockey to be rid of his contract? Maybe actually, but um, <laughs> no, it, it's like that's you, what we've come to. Would you take a million dollars and knowing someone in the world would die? A, a frightening amount of people would say yes to that question. Um, it's ethically and morally wrong in so many ways. Yes, think about it. You don't want less hockey. 
But you also right. don't want that contract. If there was a lockout for the rest of this season, I might take it. <laughs> um, no. So the, the reality is nothing is happening. I, I, I do see some conversations happening on Twitter and Reddit and Facebook and, you know, smoke signals. Um, wave him. Buy him out. Send him. It just It's not happening. The only viable thing is to ride it out. Yep. Detroit's got a ton of cap space next season. So it doesn't make any sense to buy anybody out this summer unless you're making just trying to make a roster spot for a young guy, which isn't going to happen. So I uh, don't expect to see a buyout this summer because even guys who have one year left like Erickson and Daly, it doesn't make sense to buy them out unless the Red Wings re-sign Cronwall and Jensen. Then you have to to get Chalosky and Hronik in the lineup next year, which they might not care about, truthfully. No. Um, if Philip Hronik spends another year in Grand Rapids, I would not be surprised. Uh, Chad on Twitter actually pointed out one time that buying out daily wouldn't actually be too hard on the teams. If there- It'd be like a million dollar cap hit for two years. It's whatever. I, I would do it if it meant getting Heronic in the lineup. But if, if there was only one defenseman on this team that was gone next year and the, the team needed to find a way to get rid of a second, I wouldn't mind it. Depending on the cap increase. If the cap increase was another substantial one, I'd say, yeah, eat that, eat that buyout and do whatever. Um, Detroit's also in a difficult cap situation, and I know we've brought this up before, and this isn't like more prevalent now. It's just something that came to mind was they have two players LTIR'd, and that will stay there. Uh, Johan Franzen and Henrik Zetterberg. Both those players are still technically under contract with the Red Wings. For at least two more years each, I believe. Yeah, and so it's not... the Though that, that money doesn't count against the cap, what it does count against is Detroit's flexibility to go 10% over the cap while working things out and trying to bring it back down under the cap before October, September, whatever the deadline is before each season. You can only have two players whose money doesn't count against the cap for those purposes. And so they've lost that flexibility. That's nearly unprecedented throughout the league. No one else has that much. And it's like a lot, like $10 million tied up that way. Yeah, They, they do not, they are one bad career ending injury away from losing a whole lot of flexibility. It's not losing any flexibility. Yeah. So yeah, we harp on the the uh, Ericsons and the Abdicators and the Helms and the whatever contracts, and yeah, we're we'll we'll ride it out. Like, there's no point in whining. Yeah, you know what? There's no point in whining ever. But what else we're gonna do on this podcast, (laughs) right? Uh, But it's not one or two things. It's kind of like on all fronts, Detroit's hands are tied, which is why. The small joys, which you see, which are the the young guys, where you don't have to worry about the money that they're making. You don't have to worry about what their futures look like. You just have to worry about their development now and seeing them play and grow now. To see them being mishandled to some degree, depending on what side of the argument you fall on, I don't think a lot of people could disagree that Hronik, Cholosky, Hicketts, name whatever other young guys have been shortchanged in some capacity to this point. And that, that's the stuff that hurts. That's the kicking while you're down. That's the salt in the wound right there. Again, the Red Wings statistically have, I think, the single highest cap hit in the league. The Red Wings have one of the oldest rosters in the league when they sit third last in the NHL. If you look at that and don't see a fundamental problem with it, you really, really need to just stop watching current hockey and just watch old VHSs of the 90s. Best case Ontario. This is the slowest of slow rolls. Ken Holland and Jeff Blasio pull off masks and they turn out to both be Steve Eiserman and they were just doing an elaborate tank to fool everyone up until this point. Also, at the end of that, you get two Steve Eisermans. It's not so True. bad. 
But again, I would even argue if you're going for the tank, that you, how many of the current players on in the organization's development that they've damaged? <laughs> oh, Peter Mrazek, come back. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Our goalie situation is fine. Um, yeah, we don't have a, a starting goalie next year as of right now. Eh, no one ever has starting goalies. I don't blame that on them. The rest of the league, Evgeny Malkin swung at someone's face with his stick. And only got one game. Yeah, I think the one game is fine. I don't. Okay, so we'll break it down. Um, Michael Roffle? Michael Roffle. Michael Roffle. I, first names, I don't know what gets me. Anyways, Michael Roffle uh, was roughing up Evgeny Malkin, gave him a shot to the back of the head. He really did. He was. It should have been a roughing penalty. Uh, Evgeny Malkin responded by turning around and swinging his stick. One-handed on the backhand, but if you're if you've ever played hockey, you know that a professional hockey player can control that, and that's still a baseball bat swing um, at Michael Ruffles' face. Didn't really connect too hard. Didn't do any terrible. Well, it damage. glanced off his shoulder. Yeah. So. Um, but still swung a hockey stick at a human being's head, and was subsequently uh, summoned for a hearing. It was a phone hearing, and uh, was suspended for one game. Malkin. As most Red Wings fans will know, as a lot of hockey fans will know, has a long, long history of being an asshole. He is a phenomenal hockey player. One of the greatest hockey players. Maybe even the 101st best hockey player ever, if you will. But he is a monumental asshole. I can pull up 10 examples of him just with Detroit right now. And that doesn't even cover the half of it. He has a propensity for dirty hits. He has propensity for bad, bad anger issues. If I had to pick a player with bad anger issues, he would be up there with Tom Wilson and the other dope heads in the league. He's just he's just such a hothead who does stupid stuff. And so to see people come and defend him and say, oh, Malkin didn't, obviously didn't mean it. No, he obviously did, right? <laughs> oh, he did. Anybody who... Wait, people are actually saying he didn't mean to do that? They're like, yeah, he wasn't actually ever going to swing to his face. He was. It was just a reaction. I'm like, no, it was a reaction to, that he was angry and he tried to hit someone in the face with his stick. And he swung around. He, he swung his stick like a helicopter blade and hit Raffle in the face. Oh, my God. He got Raffle-coptered. <laughs> oh, my God. And that's been this week's episode of the Winged Wheel <laughs> Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hanna. There's no other hosts. I've killed them. <laughs> Anyways, people were actually trying to say that that wasn't intentional. You know what? Not as many people as previous Malkin infractions, which means people are learning. But still, <laughs> at some point, if you're Pittsburgh, if you're Sidney Crosby, if you're Pittsburgh's GM or coach or owner, do you not sit him down and say, hey, you're completely and unequivocally always one of the best players in the world? Piss off with that? Like, wh- what? How do you function as a player of your caliber doing that? He uh, he got a one-game suspension. I was going to say, counterpoint to your one point. He's one of the best players in the world. He knows he's not getting suspended for any substantial amount of time, no matter what he does. Remember when Duncan Keith slashed a guy in the face and connected and only got one game? Knocked out two teeth. And then the next time he did it, because it was actually a second time, he only got six games. Yep. Uh, and he yeah. rested him for the playoffs. Yeah. So... Didn't Chicago win the cup that year, too? I probably. Um, 50-50 odds, right? It's It's not even the meme, like 50-50 odds at this point. Because there's not much debate here. We know what happened. Evgeny Malkin tried to take a baseball swing with his stick and slash a guy in the face. 
I really don't need to describe the specific incidents. Just that sentence alone should be an automatic five games. You tried to slash a guy in the face. The intent alone is five games. I agree. I agree that that's what it should be. But the standards that the Department of Player Safety try to set out, I think I was not surprised by the one game suspension. Oh, I'm not surprised at all His by the prior wheel of history justice. of actual on the book suspensions don't stack up enough. Although one could argue that he should have way more. I mean, if I just have to think of a specific example, it would be uh, taking an instigator penalty within the last 10 minutes of the game as an automatic game suspension, but it didn't count because it was the Stanley Cup Finals and the NHL just made up a rule to make Malkin not suspended. I digress. <sighs> I'm over it, Brad. Are you? I'm angry. Yeah. Uh, so so Malkin's one-game suspension. Yeah, I, I think swinging your stick at a guy's face should be way more, but I think precedent showed that this was not... They were never going to give him more than that. I was actually impressed that they did it. Some uh, some talking heads were saying that he wouldn't get more than a, a max fine. It, it, which it might be relevant, too, because Carolina's only one point behind Pittsburgh for the final playoff spot. So that could be the game that knocks Pittsburgh out of a playoff spot. So I hope so. Let's hope. because I hope so just so he can... St- Maybe learn something. See, um, I'm actually conflicted with the Penguins here because I really want them to make the miss the playoffs because screw the Penguins. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure they'll win the draft lottery if they miss the playoffs. So. Oh, absolutely. It'll be Pittsburgh followed by Edmonton followed by Chicago. Shut up. <laughs> you shut your mouth right now. I actually wouldn't watch the draft. I would. Oh, no, I wouldn't be able to. No, I would go to the draft, but before the draft, I would get just obnoxiously drunk <laughs> <laughs> and then yell every profane thing I could think of every time one of those teams walked on the stage. Yeah. Um, the trade deadline is approaching, and all the talk right now is pretty much focused around three players uh, Mark Stone, uh, Artemi Panarin, and I went Ottawa. Columbus, Ottawa, and then Matt Duchesne. Mm-hmm. Um, you mix in some Dezingle, some Bobrovsky in there. And then there's actually a lot else, but those are the guys that are the dam holding up the flood to come because they're the biggest names. And this is actually a pretty unique trade deadline. Someone go back and quote me every time I see that every year. But this is actually a pretty unique trade deadline in that these are guys that are not rentals. They're young they are well the rentals but no but they like you want to these aren't rick nash's you are signing these guys long term if you can if you can as possible cornerstones of your franchise like these are huge huge players your outlook as a team changes if you land one of these guys panarin is one of the few players in the league with over 100 games played that's over averaging over 100 points per game one of the very few what makes this what truly makes this unique is the three biggest names on the deadline are three players these teams do not want to trade. No. Ottawa right now is working primarily to re-sign Matt Duchesne and Mark Stone. And and for the record, for you people posting on Twitter, re-sign is R-E-S-I-G-N. R-E-S-I-G-N. Without the dash is resign, meaning they're quitting. You know, Get it right. You know you've messed up when Brad's yelling at you for grammar. Yes, exactly. When, when I text Brad, hey, you made a typo in the title, he goes, oh, piss off. Because <laughs> usually it's I've missed a comma or something like that. They matter, Brad. You're talking about a hyphen. Yeah, well, it ma- makes the word an entirely different word. It makes I can give you some pretty gnarly examples of sentences that are changed by a comma. 
Wars have been started over less. Anyways. <laughs> Aquila and the Bee, episode two. <laughs> Ottawa is actively trying to re-sign Duchesne and Stone. Columbus is a good team this year, but they know that Artemi Panarin has a ton of value, so they don't want to lose him for nothing. So one of the rumors going around Columbus right now is if they trade Artemi Panarin, they're going to try and use part of the haul they get for Panarin to go around and trade for someone like Mark Stone or Matt Duchesne. So as soon as they trade him, they become a buyer. It's it's bizarro world right now, which is a little asinine to me because if you're truly going for it, Columbus, you just keep Panarin. You he's you use him as your own rental. He's the best rental available. You think you're either you think you're a cup contender or you're not. If you think you're a cup contender, keep the best rental available. You already have him and you don't have to give up anything for him. If you don't think you're a cup contender, you trade him and you don't then use some of those assets to turn around and buy someone else. Here's you, my here, sorry, I'm gonna cut you off because I really think there it's easy to get in the weeds with this. It's easy to get into the thick of it and consider mm-hmm. all the sides. But if you had to sit down, gun to your head objectively, two questions. One, is Columbus a cup contender based on the teams around them? The answer is no. Two, are they being stupid by hanging on to Panarin with all the information that they have? Yes. Trade him. He will. You I don't agree. Even, I agree. Yeah. I, I think doing anything else would be absolutely asinine, especially considering looking at the, what's happened in the last few years in the league. Again, I would just trade him straight up, and that's the end of the sentence. Columbus... It, it, Many top end writers and reporters are saying they they will trade him and then reacquire someone of lesser value. So that way it's like a net gain for them. So if they trade Panarin for hypothetically, let's just say two first round picks, they will then go acquire another player for one first round pick. So they are net up one first. That is stupid. You are making your team worse actively making your team worse. And then you're going to try and make a cup run in a conference that features the Boston Bruins, Tampa Bay Lightning, Toronto Maple Leafs, Pittsburgh Penguins, and Washington Capitals. Get the hell out of here. Trade him and be done with it. Trade Bobrovsky and be done with it. If you want to replace Bobrovsky with like a really cheap goalie who you think can get you maybe around in the playoffs, by all means, go for it. But Give up the second round pick for Jimmy again, Howard. And again, I'm saying this objectively as a GM, what I would do, but I know I've talked about this podcast. Kekalainen has to also realize his team's never won a playoff round and the fans are going to notice that. It's nice to feel good. It's nice to feel good now, for sure. You win a playoff round, that feels great. Ten years down the line, the the dipshits doing a podcast twice a week are not going to be talking about how nice that one playoff round felt. They're going to be talking about the fallout from losing one of the best forwards in the league for absolutely nothing. And it's That's the kind of stuff that ruins franchises. And it's funny because... You look at what Columbus is trying to do with Panarin because if they're looking to trade him and then reacquire someone, they have to train him, trade him sooner than later. And we're a week and a half out from the trade deadline. Ottawa, they, a lot of reporters said they don't know if there is a hard number, like hard date on when Ottawa is saying you have to sign an extension by this date or we're trading you. But they're crazy if that date doesn't exist. They be like, they have to be going. Okay, well, trade deadline's next Monday, so if you don't sign an extension by this Monday. Um, contract talks cease, you're on the market. They'd be absolutely insane if they don't do that. And again, the Ottawa is not a smart organization. They are probably not doing this. And it is now throwing a hand grenade on the rest of the league because all the Wayne Simmons and the Gus Nyquists and the Michael Furlins of the world, their teams are sitting there going, well, we want to trade these guys 
but we can't because every other team is waiting on these three guys. Because if you're a Calgary or a Toronto or a Boston or a Nashville or a Winnipeg, you don't want Gus Nyquist. Mm -mm. You want Mark Stone. You want Artemi Panarin. You want to win the cup this year. And if you miss out on one of these guys, let's say Ottawa re-signs one of those guys, Columbus decides we're going to go for it, we're keeping Panarin, and then Duchesne's the only one on the market, he gets traded. Now all of a sudden, Gus Nyquist, Michael Furland, those are your best options. You got to go. And you don't want to have to do that with three hours to go before the deadline. No. Because that would actually play in Detroit's favor because teams panic and overpay, just like what happened with Vegas and Tatar last year. But if you're one of those contenders, you're pissed. You're furious right now. Because you can't do anything. No. You're just sitting in limbo. It's going to create a very entertaining week next week because it's all going to happen in short order. But objectively, for all these NHL teams, buyers and sellers, but especially buyers, Ottawa and Columbus are holding the rest of the league hostage. At least one. So between Stone... Panarin, Duchesne, even throw Dezingle and Bobrovsky. Like, Bobrovsky's a, a tier above. Oh, he's on the same tier as the other guys. I'm not putting Dezingle in. Yeah, but there's not really a goalie market no. right now. Uh, at least one of those guys is going to walk for nothing, right? Just you play the odds. One of those guys is going to walk. Ottawa's and- not. That's not happening in Ottawa. They don't care. They Ottawa's not in a playoff position this year, and they're not going to be. They are either selling everybody or they're re-signing everybody. Everybody who's not locked down to a long-term long-term contract by the 25th is gone. You don't think someone's going to make a mistake? Oh, someone's going to make a mistake. It's just not going to be Ottawa. I could see Columbus moving none of them and just that's rolling a lot the of, dice. That's a lot of confidence for a franchise that took some time to, to fire a guy who was just recently found guilty of sexual assault. <laughs> You're not wrong. Assault, harassment, I can't remember which it was. You're, you're not wrong. It all blends together. However. Speaking of which, I saw Baby Driver. The, it was one of the Kevin Spacey movies recently. Oh, God. Edgar, Edgar Wright is really good. That's I haven't great, seen that movie yet, but I've heard You would things. really enjoy it, yeah. I thought during the movie, Brad would really enjoy this. Hmm. I didn't think that. I don't think about you, Brad. I know. Thank you for it's knowing pro- that. It's probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> happy Valentine. Happy Palant. Happy, happy Pod. No, sorry. Go ahead. I tried something there. It didn't work. I'm willing to admit that. I don't even know really where you're going with it. Anyways, but yeah, so it's it's going to be a mess of a deadline, and a lot of teams are going to get are going to get stuck standing there for 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 a very crass term. They're going to get stuck there with their dick in their hand. Oh yeah, you're going to because get... if for no other reason than time, they might just run out of time. I wish this was a deadline where Neilander was getting traded because we could have made so many jokes about Dubis and his willy. <laughs> But instead, the gods don't care, and they had to lock him up long term. No, but you're right. There's going to be, and I, this sucks for Detroit fans to hear. You want to know what tier, what like what uh, what frame of teams are going to be stuck? You know, not being able to sell. You're you're talking the Nyquist tier, the players who should sell, but there's too much saturation around them. Guys who are cheaper, better value, maybe their GMs aren't driving as hard of a bargain, or guys who are just flat out better. And that's going to make it hard to sell these guys. Detroit very well might get stuck with their willy in their hands. The the way this is shaping up, this is going to be a very, very boom or bust deadline for Detroit. I'm going to talk with Nyquist specifically because the same market is not panning out for defensemen. So if they're trading Nick Jensen, they're going to have one of the better chips in their hands right now because Muzzin's already been dealt and there isn't those superstar defensemen available on the market like there are forwards. Um, 
But one of two things might happen. If Ottawa and Columbus push this right down to the wire the last day or two, one of two things is going to happen to Detroit. The other teams, so the the there's probably four to six teams that are what we would consider serious buyers, teams that are willing to give up top prospects and first-round picks to make a run this year. It's not many more than that. Let's assume all of Stone, Duchesne, and Paterin get moved. That's going to leave three teams, maybe four, who are willing to pay big for a guy like Gus Nyquist because they missed the boat on the other guys. They might immediately pull the trigger on a Furland or a Simmons or a who the hell ever, and Detroit gets nothing. Or, like I said, what happened last year is Detroit uh, is one of the first teams on the phone and there's an hour left in the deadline and someone makes a panic move and overpays for them. So they might either get a King's Ransom or nothing at all. It's... It's that volatile of a market right now, and, and Detroit fans need to be prepped for that. Now, I'm going to go out and say this right now. If Nike, a guy like Nyquist doesn't get traded and doesn't get extended before the deadline, it's still a failure of Ken Holland. It's your job to go create a market for him. It's your job to have all options on the table and have all these conversations with these teams before the other guys get moved. That way, if you know Nashville is looking for a top six forward and all of a sudden you missed out on Panarin and Stone, Kenny's on that phone. He's got David Poyle on speed dial. Hi, I have a Gus Nyquist ready for you here. As we've talked about, I'm looking for a first-round pick. Thank you. Oh, we moved our first-round pick for whatever. Okay, fantastic. Dante Fabro, thank you. Oh, you're not moving a defenseman? Ely Tolvin. Okay. Bang, bang, bang like that. I am so proud of you, Brad. I'm also saying the other acceptable option here is... You have that Nyquist extension done, and you don't risk losing him at the end of the year for nothing. Yeah, that's, I, that's, that's fine, my, too. That's just more boring. It's more boring, but if Detroit comes past this deadline without extensions and or assets for these players, it's a massive failure of Holland getting back to my earlier point. And I can't entirely blame Holland on this because, as we just had this whole conversation, this market is messed up right now like we've never seen it at a it's deadline before. straight goofy. So Frank uh, Saravalli actually put out a good article today on TSN, kind of just talking about the goalie market. Jimmy Howard is, in my mind, the top get, like the top piece of bait, because Bobrovsky doesn't really exist within the realm of what people are willing to pay for goalies. And he's also not been as good as Jimmy this year. If uh, we're just talking in a in a vacuum here. So for, for what people are looking, when people are trading for goalies, they're looking for goalies essentially to win them rounds in the immediate playoffs. Not a long-term goalie. Almost never is that the case. Yeah, if you're trading for Bobrovsky, that breaks the mold. But again, the goalie market is sparse. If you're a seller, there's not a lot to, to there's not a lot of phones to call. There's Howard is probably the best piece out there. Ken Holland has been public about the fact that his price is a first-round pick. He has to settle for a second in my mind. I think that's the best he'll get. Yeah. And he, if he does not pull the trigger on a second-round pick for Jimmy Howard... I think you can get a second plus. I think Jimmy's worth it this year. Because I, I, when I when I get into these hypotheticals, I your immediate reaction is to always look at this from a Red Wings point of view. So I always like looking at this if I was a fan of the other team. There's really only one team right now in the entire NHL that I say makes sense for Howard and that's the Flames yeah that's Calgary for sure that's Calgary so I'm going to look at this from a Calgary perspective if I miss out my priority going into this deadline is going to be uh, apparently for them it's going to be a top six winger Uh, that's a team that doesn't have problems scoring goals so I'd actually say goalie would be should be their focus if I was a fan of them but anyways if I'm sitting there and I'm the Calgary Flames and I'm a fan of the Calgary Flames David Riddick's been inconsistent. Mike Smith has been borderline bad this year. 
Our defense is f- loaded, and our top six forwards have been scoring the lights out this year. They have, I think, four or five players on pace to break 90 points, which is obscene. And I'm sitting there going, okay, so if we take this team exactly as it is and add Jimmy Howard as our starting goalie, do I feel good about us winning a cup? I would say yes. When I say yes, I feel good about winning a cup in any scenario, that's worth a first-round pick to me. Or a second-round pick plus, um, I don't know, pull a decent prospect on that. Dylan Dubé. That's worth it to me. So I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility Jimmy Howard gets a first-round pick. But it's, no, it's, 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 it's only going to be Calgary. And this is where Calgary has leverage because he knows Ken Holland is, can't shop him anywhere else. It's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. And I don't even think it's unfair. If you're talking picks 20 to 30 for a guy where it's not a crapshoot, he's going to win you games. This guy has dragged a very decrepit Detroit defense to the playoffs or close a lot of times. Jimmy Howard will win you games. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I think just the way... You know, goalie stocks trade in this market just will probably suppress that and working just the natural regression of these prices. I would predict a second is the best offer Ken's going to see. I'm admittedly far too critical of Ken Holland when it comes to him saying no to offers that were below his asking. I would like him to see sell rather than hold on to stuff. I know I have to come away from that as a, per, as a talking head, as a supposed analyst, whatever. Um, but I, I will not move. I cannot budge on the fact that if the second round pick is the best at, you know, one second before the deadline, you have one second to push that button and a second round pick is as, as best as you can. If that's pick 62, I still think you do it. Yep. I, I agree. Um, right now, like I said, I'm approaching this trade deadline from a realistic lens. I expect Ken Holland to make two trades for futures. I do not care which players it is. Two trades for futures, and the other guys are re-signed. There is no maybes here. Like I said, you do not go past the dead, past the deadline without Howard, Nyquist, Jensen, or whoever extended. They have to have a contract, or they're gone. Again, if the two trades are Nick Jensen and Trevor Daly, and they extend Howard and Nyquist, fine, I'm good with that. If they extend Jensen and Howard, trade Nyquist Daly, fine. If they keep Daly, trade uh, let's say Nyquist and Howard, cool. I'm good with that. I understand that they're not going to throw six rookies into the lineup next year. I get that. I'm realistic. Even if I was, even if the Detroit wasn't so backwards when it comes to youth, you still probably don't want to parade out four rookie defensemen next year. I get it. Um, but two is my benchmark. Anything less than that, it's a bad deadline. All right, I'm going to move us over to. There's still plenty to talk about, but we have um, we're going to have a primer episode essentially for the for the deadline, and I want to move us to overtime. Um, I do have a dinner to go cook. Uh, Eric Kozlowskis. Oh, it's the dinner from Chef. Have you seen the movie Chef with John Favreau? No. Oh, God. Don't watch it hungry. It will ruin you. I've been hungry for a week straight. Yeah, oh, yeah, your teeth. Mm, uh, Eric's still not eating solid food. <laughs> so, Overtime, of course, is brought to you by your Patreon patrons whose comments get read out on air, guaranteed as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show. Uh, we'll start with Eric Kozlowskis, who um, says, can you explain the reasoning behind the following UFA trade deadline tropes? We can't trade him because we want to re-sign him. Or, we couldn't trade him, then we have to re-sign him. I don't get it. Why are we trading and re-signing two mutually? Why why are trading and re-signing two mutually exclusive things? Why can't we trade a guy and re-sign him in the off season? Why do you have to re-sign a guy instead of just letting him walk? Um, you can. There's nothing that says you can't. But 
if history has taught us anything, it's actually pretty rare. Generally, when a guy gets traded, he does not want to come back. Again, it's it's one of the risks you run. I, I do think going forward, the best long-term goalie option for the, well, at least for the next two to three years for the Red Wings is Jimmy Howard. If you send him to Calgary right now and he goes to the cup finals, do you really think he's going to be looking back at this dumpster fire of a team and go, yeah, I want to go back to that? No, generally when players get moved to greener pastures, they tend to stay there or explore the market. Um, also, the if I, if you just let a guy walk, that means you should have tried to trade him for something at the deadline, assuming you could. Also, yeah, the league would not be in a favorable place if a lot of the guys that were traded as rentals started just walking back to the teams that traded them in the first place. That would be kind of bad business. Um, Warm Core Music says, this team has no idea how to rebuild a defense, not to mention rebuild a whole team. Holland can trade for as many picks as he wants, but if your head coach continues to favor an all-veteran defense over developing young players, what the hell is the point of it? Sounds like short of someone pulling a Tanya Harding and taking a lead pipe like uh, to guys like Erickson Daly and Cronwell, we're not going to see much youth on the defense anymore. At some point, you have to let Cholosky and Hironik play and develop. Are they serious about sending Cholosky down at Grand Rapids? Unfortunately. Uh, what the hell kind of rebuild is this? Part of the reason why I was okay with dealing with the consecutive years of losing was the promise of developing talent. What WTF is this crap? Daly has sucked this year, even when healthy. Cronwell can't skate anymore. Erickson is Erickson. Jensen has been a bright spot, but let's trade him for a third rounder. We'll never see uh, and sign another veteran next summer to replace him for three times as much money. Seriously, this shit needs to stop. Holland has either no clue what he's doing or he's too set in his ways. This is why Eisenman returning is so important. The dude traded St. Louis as Tampa hero, knowing it was time to part ways. He won't hold on to players out of stubbornness. Holland and Blasio will hold this rebuild from truly moving forward. And by the time our defense is decent, all forwards not named Larkin, Valeno, and Zadina will be past their prime. Preach. Yes. That's all I can say is preach. Mark Burnham says, did you guys see the tweet of a team lineup made of the worst contracts in the NHL? I think that was Berkshire. I was offended that only one Red Wing was on that list. Uh, Abby's a fourth liner there. Also had a brutal lineup for $120 million. I'm going to try. Oh, it wasn't. Um, it was Adam Jezuki. Uh First line, Louis Erickson, Jason Spezza, Corey Perry. Second line, Ryan Kessler, Milan Lucic, Bobby Ryan. Third line, David Backus, Andrew Ladd, Ryan Callahan. Fourth line, Brandon Dubinsky, Justin Abdelkader, James Neal. On defense, you have Phaneuf, Seabrook, Eric Goodbranson, Mark Stahl, Jay Bomeister, Michael Stone. At goalie, you have Corey Schneider and Mike Smith. Oh, man, a different year, and Corey Schneider wouldn't even sniff that list. <laughs> um, Blake Berger says, hey, guys, non-Red Wings question. What are your expectations of goaltenders in adult hockey leagues? I never played organized hockey growing up, just pond hockey throughout throughout high school and college i started playing goalie in a couple beer leagues around town but still pretty new to this position so i'm not exactly a brick wall just don't want to be ticking people off with my lack of skill um there's no expectations of you uh goalies are a rare breed in like pickup in men's leagues so if you're the option that the team has just your attendance is more important than your skill yeah. i i had a goalie one year where it was flip a coin if he was going to be able to go one week or the next. So I was always scrambling for a backup goalie and that pissed me right the hell off as a guy who ran the team. So when it comes to goalies, my only expectation is that if we play every Monday night, you're free almost every Monday night. <laughs> also, if you're playing rec leagues, play for yourself, have fun. If you want to get better, get better. If you want to screw around, chug beers before and after do that too. Yep. Uh, Just also, think of it. The alternative is if you're not there, they're flipping the net onto its front and using yeah. the posts backwards. Now, if we're talking pickup hockey, it, which is a little different because obviously 
defense doesn't exist in those. Don't be that goalie who, if you're having a rough go and a lot of pucks are going in, you start getting angry and you stop trying because it makes the game not fun for everybody else on the ice then. Who cares? Just have some fun. Just stay in your net and don't be a dick. Warm Chord Music also says, let's do a little bit of role reversal here. We're all thinking about what team would trade for Nyquist and what the return could be. But if you're Nyquist, what teams would you approve a trade to and why? My first and only answer to that is Nashville. Nash- Not only, but... Nashville, Tampa, Calgary, Winnipeg. Any team I think has got a realistic chance at winning a cup, I'd be, I'd comfortably go. Because, yeah, it sucks if you have to live out of a hotel for like four months. But, hey, if living in a hotel for more, four months gets you a cup ring, I take that chance. Teams in... Uh- Southern California, Florida. Like if a team like Edmonton came calling like, hey, we're trying to get in the playoffs. We could use Nyquist. We'll give you, a, you know, whatever for him. And I was Nyquist. I'd be like, hell no, I am not going to that dumpster fire. But again, top end team in the league. Yeah. Yeah. Give me that. Give me that run. Joseph Craig says, can we get a fan appreciation day for the wings where Blash plays goalie and fans can fire pucks at him? Pads optional. <laughs> now for the real question. How long do you think Chalosky wears the winged wheel? 21 years, of course. Uh, I'm going to say eight years. Just because usually most teams with a contract will buy one or two UFA years. And then after that, he's gone. Because, again, under this current regime, if we're talking about GM Steve Eiserman and Coach Joel Quenville, then, hey, that's a whole different animal. Uh, Adam Flett, all the way over from the UK, says, Can anyone on the pod explain how developing a team means completely frickin' with young players' minds? Please read the following in a moronic accent. Hi, Philip. Putting up points at a consistent rate, comparable with other top rookie D? Grand Rapids for you. Hi, Chalosky. Quote the breakout. You had to start at the year. Looked okay so far, but making the same mistakes as the vets? Grand Rapids for you. And for the win, we will announce it on your bobblehead day. Job done there. You coach for sure, but if the GM has signed this off, well, time to say thanks and cheerio. Not a question I know, but what the frick? Uh, Advanced Water says, I need your help, guys. I'm going to get tickets to go see Grand Rapids play the Ontario Rain. Ontario, California, not Ontario, Ontario. Uh, I was going to get tickets really close to the ice to see Zadina, but if he's up in the NHL, I could just get cheaper tickets. So what's your best guess? When is Zadina going to play his games with the Wings? Let me let me take a peek at the old schedule because I forgot to do that last week. and I, will... I would say early to mid-March. It, uh, Holland already said it's going to be March, so we can narrow that down. So we want to find a nine-game stretch of a lot of home games and weak teams, which sounds contradictory because every team Detroit's going to play is better than them. But um, So looking, taking a quick look. There's like... Uh, are, there nine, are there even nine games? I am going to say this is going to happen... Brad? From... Brad? You gotta be faster. They're uh, waiting on you. They're waiting. We're waiting. They're oh waiting. my god! The pressure. I can't take it. I just gotta count backwards. Nine games here. One, <laughs> two, three, four. I'm gonna read the next question. You're gonna answer uh, this March second to the nineteenth. All right, that's our prediction. Josh Gordon says, "Whoa, the Josh Gordon says hi, Ryan or hi, hi Ryan." Hey, Ryan. Hey, Josh. Uh, hey, guys. I believe most, if not all of you, are in relationships right now. Ryan? Yeah, all of us are. Uh, but assuming you weren't, and also assuming those of you with current partners do care, what do you uh, do? You think you could date someone who doesn't care for hockey or the wings? I could not. I could. Yeah, I could. I could. I think I have a lot of fun. Uh, well, granted, Mel has a, has a want to learn the game and has agreed to my terms that she has to be a Red Wings fan. That's non-negotiable. But she was a blank slate. I could probably date a fan of a, a different team. 
there's a different kind of fun to be had there. Like a rival, a good spirited rivalry is always good. I had to convert Crystal. It'll be unfortunate when you have to kill them. Yeah. No, Crystal. When we started dating, I found out was committing the ultimate sin at the time. So I. She was an Avalanche fan, right? She was. Yeah. So we had this. She she wasn't like super into it. She just let, she liked playing hockey more than she liked watching hockey. Yeah. So it wasn't. It only took a few months to convert her, but. Thank it was it did. was for the best, and now she's all in and um, hates watching hockey because her favorite team's awful, and I feel guilty for it. <laughs> Kaylin Wood says I'm at work right now, and it's 75 degrees and sunny out. I just want to have a cold one and ride my bike around. Oh, I hate you! I have scraped so many inches of ice off my car. Um, what's your favorite thing to do in nice weather? Drive with the windows down. Go to the lake. Oh, that's better. Uh, also, I wish Cholosky would play hockey more for the Detroit Red Wings Hockey Club. <laughs> also, also, I assume you will cover this a little in the episode, but how cool is this women's USA vs. Canada tourney? We didn't we didn't even touch that. Oh, yeah, that did start the other day. I love it. The women's hockey is finally starting to get some exposure in the mainstream hockey media over the last uh, month or so, well, since the Ulster game, and I'm I'm here for it. And here's us not covering it, one of our main topics. Uh, yeah, listen, we had more more angering issues to deal with we didn't want to sully it uh this episode with a happy topic i really hope there's a stream available and i really really hope this is one step uh, of many in the right direction for the nhl getting these women the backing and hype they deserve cheers fellas marissa says happy valentine's day hope you enjoyed my hockey tines i love those check out our twitter oh that was marissa yeah nice uh despite it being a day of hearts and sparkles i'm filled with bitterness concerning the plight of dennis chalosky so my questions are one would getting sent to grand rapids be good or bad for his development uh, for his development, neutral. For the crap they've been speaking about, it would improve his confidence. That's false. No. Obviously, uh, better than being consistently scratched, but is he good enough that being in Grand Rapids wouldn't help him improve as much as playing the NHL would? No, any reps right now, any ice time will He help. just needs to be playing. If I had my choice, he'd be playing in the NHL because he's already proven he can succeed at this level. So let's just iron out his kinks at this level. Uh, two on a scale of one to ten, how certain are we that Stevie is coming back? Everyone talks like it's a done deal, but I don't want to give myself false hope. Uh, are we going to, okay, this summer or ever? Within the next two years. Let's give it next two years. I'm going to say, I'm going to say six in the next two years for this summer. I will give it an eight and a half out of ten in the next two years. I'm that confident. Yeah, I, as GM or within the organization. Because my answer goes down if it says GM. I think GM within the next two years. I'm going to say five and two. It's tough, but I, I think this one's real. We're going to finish off. Uh, Rowan actually had a really uh, long insight, but we are going to wind down. I might get to this a different day, but he still has a question. Jersey time. Best and worst jerseys in the Pacific Division. Go. Pacific Division. Are, yes. we, counting, are we counting alternates? Uh, mm, no. Okay, give me a minute. You you come up with your answer. Best and worst jerseys. Vegas, in my mind, is the best. I don't see how Vegas isn't the best. They nailed those jerseys, and the worst it has to be the Ducks. Right? Yes, on both fronts, but I was giving some consideration to the Arizona thirds. Uh, which one are their thirds? I can't the remember. The Kachinas, the black. Oh, yeah. I was giving consideration, but I think I still go Vegas. Um... If Anaheim is easily the worst. That's not even up for debate. Arizona's primary and alternate, uh, or home and away, I should say, I actually like. I don't love them, but I like them. I don't. Think oh, I, I really, really like Arizona's jerseys. I, I think they're one of the better jerseys in the league. I love the color scheme. I love the pattern. I love the logo. San Jose Stealth jerseys. San Jose's all right. Uh, the, their jerseys are a little bland for me, but I, I kind of dig it. 
Um, Calgary's are good, not great. I prefer the throwbacks. Edmonton's are good, not great. Vancouver's are all right. Vancouver just like they have so much potential. I don't LA, if they got rid of that stupid piping, I'd be all on. Bring I'd back be... the Burger King. <laughs> That's yeah. all I care about. All right. And with that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Do you want to support the show? Head over to Twitter. Follow at Winged Wheel Pod. And then go to the bio and follow our individual accounts. We will love it. We're very active on Twitter. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our Patreon uh, supporters, our name-level sponsors, Sean Levine, Chad Hiersack, uh, Sky Carcass, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Langabeer, Derek Shippert, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, Stan Olson, Ryan Lewis, Dan Bell, Hannah Lee. You guys are who make this show happen. The show is for you. Other ways to support the show, follow however you get your podcast, subscribe, like, leave us ratings, the whole bit. Talk to us. We just love you. The trade deadline's coming. Lots to be excited about, and we'll talk soon. Mm-hmm.